You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week on our 100th episode, I'm talking to Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios and the producer of three films from the company this year, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. We talk about all of it, early beginnings in the business, 10 years of Marvel Studios, and a culmination with the company's most successful year to date. So sit tight. This is Playback. You know what I like about a podcast? What? No cameras. I know. Same. No cameras. Same. I hate it when they put they, – they, they try to make this video Although I listened to your excellent interview with uh, our friend Ryan Coogler. Yes. And you said something like, you know, it's great. No cameras. Because he, he, he likes podcasts too, right? Mm-hmm. And then I heard on the podcast – Oh, well, we do shoot some quick stills. <laughs> And I went, there's a camera in there. For those who will allow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're always trying to get me to turn this into video, and I'm like, no. Smart. You can get a better conversation out of it. You're totally right. Anyway, here we are. Uh, I'm here today with the president of Marvel Studios and obviously producer of Black Panther and everything coming out of the Marvel factory these days, Kevin Feige. Thank you so much for for, uh, taking the time to sit down with me today. I know you moved some stuff to be here, and I really appreciate that. No problem. You know, I was super uh, interested in having you be this guest because this is my 100th episode. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So a big milestone for us, the last uh, episode of the year. And you guys are in a big milestone year as well. Ten years for Marvel Studios, 20 movies, uh, you know, your biggest financial successes stateside with Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War. Obviously, also tons of Oscar buzz for Black Panther, well-deserved, uh, most critically acclaimed movie to come out of the Marvel factory so far. Yeah. I mean, just all these yeah. like huge benchmarks. I was like, it's got to be Kevin, and I'm so glad that we were able to do it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so, and also the loss of the grandfather of all of this, Stan Lee, who passed recently as yes. well. So yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we're coming to the end of this first era of Marvel Studios. So let me just kind of start there. I'm going to go back because I'd love to talk about some of your early career stuff. But how does just kind of the hindsight feel like to you right now when you look back at what's, ha- at what's happened in the last 10 years? It's, uh, it's surreal. I mean, it's on one uh, – in one way, it's uh, incredibly satisfying. In the other way, it's, it's nearly unbelievable <laughs> from where we started. And, uh, and that the 10th anniversary – now culminates as you mentioned 20 films in with our best year yet there were days when i wasn't sure we'd be able to deliver get iron man in theaters there were days when i thought avengers one was a pipe dream and there were days after avengers one where i thought well where do we go how do we how do we keep this going and to have our most successful year yet be our 10th anniversary year is pretty is pretty amazing it's, it's kind of storybook in some way it, it, just, it, it feels it really just is. like a, it's just an interesting thing and i just want to say this number too because i did the research and hopefully i did my math right these movies have made uh, collectively over 17 billion dollars worldwide i mean this is to me if you don't mind me saying i kind of feel like you're the most important key figure in the film business right now because of what this company's doing and the the business model you've laid out uh it was radical but also something that like fans were dying to see was all of these characters come together, right? Oh, for sure. And, and I think it's uh, – well, number one, thank you. Number two, there are a lot of people, uh, both here and across the industry. Here at this studio, we're on the Disney lot right now, 
within the Marvel Studios offices where we are now um, that that uh, are, are all equally responsible and 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 our filmmakers, many of whom you've spoken to on this very podcast, who make it what it is. Yeah, and I, I love talking to them because they're all to a person. They have their unique styles, and and, and, sure. and, and we're going to get into some of that later. But first, I want to go all the way back. Film school at USC. That is way back. <laughs> I went to USC for grad school for journalism. I went to film school back in North Carolina. Uh, what 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 did you want out of film school? Did you go in wanting to be a director? Did you was producing kind of the thing you were aiming for? What did what did you want to do? I didn't. I wanted to. I think everybody goes in wanting to be a director. Yeah. Maybe that's not true, but I think it is. No, true. you're right. You're right. And I think <laughs> and I remember there there were the few people you'd meet who wanted to be who would say. 95 percent of the people would say, "I want to be a director. I want to be a director. I want to be George Lucas. I want to be Steven Spielberg. I want to be Robert Zemeckis. I want to be Ron Howard. I want to be John Singleton. Those were the people. Those were the big names when I was going to USC and before I went to USC and why I wanted to go to USC. But I always was. I admired the the few people who would say, "I want to be an editor," or "I want to go into sound design," because they all were hyper focused and all did. And succeeded as opposed to not everybody who says they want to be a director. But what I really wanted to be was just involved creatively in movies. That's what I wanted to be. So from my earliest days at SC, I was excited even before I got into the film school, which I didn't get into for two and a half years uh, uh, until my junior year at SC. I was just excited to be a PA on student films. I was excited to be a part of it in any way I could. Where did that stem from? Like, what's your earliest uh, kind of memories of, of film and being drawn to film and, and wanting to be a part of the movie business? Like, what was lighting that spark? I think it's just early experiences of going to movies and being transported by movies. Um, Pete's Dragon was the first film I ever went to see. And it was a fun event, and we drove there. My mother drove me to the, the first time we were going to see uh, a movie just for me, just because it was it was a kid's film that I could go see. And we missed the showing. This was before, obviously, long before uh, buying tickets on your phone and, and getting reserving your seat. You go to the theater and we, you'd either, we either had missed the showtime or something. And I was quite sad about it. But we decided, no, we're going to go home. We're going to make a tuna fish sandwich and put it in tinfoil and then drive back to the to the later showing. And it was probably I don't remember exactly. But it was probably later than I was usually out of the house at that time. And uh, I love the movie, and the kid was riding on a cartoon dragon. It was pretty, it was not the pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, of course, getting into films that even transcended the theater, like Star Wars, uh, where I would buy the toys, and I would play with them in my backyard, and I would make up my own stories, um, or Dick Donner's Superman film, um, or the Back to the Future films. These films that would transport me... During the experience of watching the movie, but also I would they would they would come home with me, and I would continue to think about them and can, continue to analyze them. And I always loved movies that rewarded you the more you watch them. Yeah. Well, speaking of Donner, there you uh, I believe the the kind of door opening for you into the business was working with Lauren Schuler Don, Donner, and uh, it was and movies like You've Got Mail, and you worked on one of my favorite. Guilty pleasure movies, frankly, Volcano. Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> I'm such a fan yes. of Volcano. I mean, when I first came to LA, <laughs> I, my eyes were wide open in a way because, like, Volcano is like an LA like tour in a way. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, that was from that's from Volcano. That's anyway. You were the first person ever to tell I, me. I, that. I imagine so. Tell me a yeah. story about Volcano, though. I'd love to hear anything that comes to mind. Volcano was great. I was 
I got into the film school my second semester, junior year. And I noticed within the first few weeks that the smart people were getting internships and were interning, going to work for free at the time at, uh, at companies. And a lot of them were working at places I'd never heard of. And I thought, well, I, I, I want to I do that. I want to go. I'm happy to go work for, for, for free, but I want to do it for, for, a, for a place I knew. And I went up into the old, which is no longer there, George Lucas building at SC, where they posted – Again, this is pre-internet, posted literally on a bulletin board, um, available internships. And I saw one that said Donner, Schuler Donner Productions. And I, this was the director of Superman. I couldn't believe it. Um, and was lucky enough to get that, to get that internship. And I was there for, for a very long time, for a year or so as an intern, for a summer as a receptionist. And then my final semester at SC, I, w- I worked there part-time as a, as a PA. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, very, uh, I was very lucky that Lauren hired me to be her assistant. And there was a lot of sitting at a desk, and I'm not good at sitting at a desk. Um, but within about, I think, five, four or five months of, uh, of my, the beginning of me working there full time, Laura Ziskin, who ran, I want to say Fox 2000 at the time, uh, called Lauren and said, I have this movie, Volcano. There's a new young producer named Neil Moritz, and I want a, a, a more experienced producer to come in and, and, uh, and help out as well. That ended up being Volcano. And within a day, uh, I'm suddenly in a production office on the 20th century lot, not knowing anything about really how to, uh, how to uh, uh, assist a producer on a, on a movie. Trial by fire. Yeah, and it was great. Uh, I always say it was a very, very fun movie to make and maybe not quite as fun a movie to watch, but I appreciate that you, uh, I that, you it, that you go for it. I'm a fan. <laughs> we rebuilt in Torrance, in an old parking lot. I can't remember what it was, some, some big industrial parking lot in Torrance, California. They rebuilt that section of Wilshire Boulevard oh, okay. that the lava comes I didn't out know of. That. So it was an entire replica, almost full-scale replica from Fairfax to to. La Brea or whatever it was, um, with the tar pits, with what is now becoming the Academy Museum, with uh, the uh, Peterson Automotive Museum, all there in a parking lot in Torrance, night after night after night. I always just thought they somehow filmed that. Nope. There. Nope. It was really really fun to work on. And, of course, years later, you remember the star of that film, Tommy Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. another star of that film, a young Don Cheadle, Mm -hmm. both of whom I was lucky enough to go on to, to, to work with. Yeah. In Marvel films, and both of whom, upon first meeting, I went, you know, we, we've actually worked together before. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, what? I'm Volcano. Then you got to bring up Volcano. Go, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that one. No, I like it, man. It's better than Dante's Peak. That was the big Same race. Same year. That was a big race. That was race, the big yeah. race. Uh, speaking about Lauren Schuler Donner, I'm, I'm reminded now, Jeff Johns work, started working Jeff with Jeff and I, Jeff and I were either interns together or I, I was a receptionist and he became an intern. But I was Lauren's assistant. He was Dick's assistant. That's fascinating. At the same time. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, you know, just to skip ahead a bit, then you go to Marvel uh, in 2000. I think you get hired at Marvel. To, yes. To... Lauren was a producer on X-Men. Mm-hmm. And I had done Volcano with her and You've Got Mail with her. Both great movies, great experience of movies. And, and You've Got Mail is a very good movie. Um, but not the movies I had dreamed of. Of making, really, yeah. I had just dreamed about being a part of a movie. So I had succeeded in my dream at that point because I was there uh, 
making those films and, and, and even getting to, uh, to work with Nora Ephron uh, was, was astounding and amazing. But she had a script that I was interested in, and I started working on and doing notes on, and that was what became the first X-Men film. Yeah. So I worked on that. She made me an associate producer on that film and worked on it, I think, for about three years. It sort of went up and down mm-hmm. um, a few times before it actually came together. And it was during that time that I got to know Avi Arad, mm-hmm. who was a producer on the film and who at the time ran what was what was sometimes called Marvel Media, sometimes called Marvel Films, and sometimes called Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. This is back in the Cinescape Magazine days as well. I remember reading in the back of Cinescape Magazine, like, Do Gray Scott's going to play Wolverine, and obviously exactly that changed. Exactly right, yes. But, uh, yeah, yeah, well, very, very uh, exciting time. I mean, you, you come in, you start with X-Men, and then Spider-Man is not long after that. I mean, I'm in film school during these movies, and when Spider-Man opens to 114 million or whatever it was it was a huge deal and i, I remember it was something we were all talking about what i wanted to ask you though was you know what did you start to realize that early about the potential of these properties in the marketplace i didn't think about the marketplace too much but i did think about the potential for the stories i did i did uh read comics when i was a kid but i was really much more of a moviegoer and a movie fan so when we were working on x-men and studio would have notes or in the brain trust, as it was called, sitting in a room with the director and the other producers and the writer, um, trying to find solutions to, to ideas uh, that we were struggling with in the script. I would always go dig through the books and always find answers and always find something that was, frankly, amazing. I can't think of a particular example, but I learned early on that the richness of character or the complexity of storytelling – or the multiple dynamics you want in a, in a protagonist or an antagonist are there in the books. They're there. Go figure. <laughs> uh, and it seems – I would hope that seems kind of a dumb observation or an obvious one. But trust me, it was not imagine, obvious yeah. to many people uh, um, working on those films at the time. Now, how about just the progression of those early movies before the Marvel Studios of it all? You know, you go on, there's there's Daredevil, there's Hulk and Fantastic Four. I mean, what lessons were you kind of personally learning about this stuff? I was talking about this the other day with somebody, I don't remember who, but it, it really is, I think in a million years, nobody would actively plan to build a studio the way Marvel Studios was built. But in hindsight, it was remarkably effective and very perfect because we got to work at almost every studio in town except Warner Brothers because they have DC and Disney. Those were the only two. I had worked at Warner Brothers with the Donners, um, uh, but Warners and Disney were the only studios that, that I didn't work with. Every other studio we developed or produced films with. So we got to see the inner workings at the upper levels of almost every studio in town and really got to learn uh, amazing lessons from the inside, uh, ways that uh, you know we thought were good, uh, um, examples of how to make a movie, perhaps ways that were not as good um, uh, to make a movie. So when we ended up taking advantage of uh, the, the pre-2008 uh, market uh, uh, crash and got – uh, financing from Merrill Lynch, which Avi Rod and David Maisel put together, um, and got a half a billion dollars in financing for ten characters, 
that Marvel did not put money into this venture, but they put the film rights to characters on the line. Uh, I was very excited because at that point I was very, very ready to uh, have the creative authority. We weren't sure we could do it, but we were sure that we'd learned enough good ways, bad ways, ways that we thought, finally, let's go with our own instincts what on how to that? make a What movie. was the specific like vision instinct that you what, – what was it that was driving you saying you were ready to jump in and do this? Well, there, I mean there were very, very, very positive experiences in those, in those call it, five years uh, leading up to us uh, becoming our own studio uh, where there were great examples. You look at some of the movies made in that, in that period, the first two X-Men films, uh, the first few uh, uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, amazing films with amazing filmmakers that just being in a room with Sam Raimi and watching him put a movie together was the, the best film school that I ever that I ever had watching uh, Amy Pascal running um, uh, Sony then and how and how great decisions can be made and how trusted filmmakers can pay off on the flip end of that. And I'm not going to be specific, but you can see movies made in that period that were not as good as the other ones. And there were reasons for that as well. And it often came down to simply, in my opinion, not trusting the source material or not trusting the audience or or being fearful of. The worst version, because, and I'm sure this is true of any story from any source material, but certainly, if you do, if you don't do it well, some of these characters can come off as goofy in a movie, mm-hmm. or some of these concepts could come off as silly. Um, the trick is to to do them well, but not be, but not be fearful yeah. about it. Yeah. And so when we when we started putting Iron Man one together, and John Favreau obviously very much believed in this and is a master, a tonal master at, uh, at uh, um, being able to achieve um, a balance of, of, uh, of pathos and humor and action. Uh, at every turn, we, we just did what we thought would, we could do well. <laughs> yeah. What we thought could be cool. Well, you when whenever yeah the, the, when when the whole thing starts to come together, you have the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man in two thousand eight. I mean, this is ten years ago. Uh, what I'm curious about is, you know, where things are at now versus what your vision going forward was then. Like, how did things change? How because I imagine you come into it with a certain idea, a certain roadmap of, of where you'd like to take this this what's going to be a huge overarching story. But uh, anything profoundly different now from what you set out to do at that time uh it has it has simply succeeded beyond our our wildest dreams the dream as i had said earlier was getting iron man and the incredible hulk into theaters going from being fully responsible for zero movies a year to fully responsible for two movies in 2008 and movies that we wanted to represent a new tone and a tone that we believed would be the best way to uh, to bring the characters to the screen. The dream for years and years was to replicate the experience for a global audience that comic book fans had been had been enjoying for decades, which was that shared universe, which was not my idea, which was not a revolutionary idea. It was it was Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby's idea in the Marvel bullpen. To combine all the characters. Yeah. Because it was a relatively small group of people working on a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. That's where we are now at Marvel Studios. And and I just thought it would be a lot of fun to be able to uh, cross these characters into each other's movies. And that's why we had the Sam Jackson cameo at the end of at the end of Iron Man. 
We did it, A, because Sam is a big fan and was gracious enough to come in and, and shoot it for us. And we put it at the end of the credits because we didn't want it to uh, interrupt the experience of the Tony Stark story that we were telling. Mm-hmm. And we thought it would be a wink to fans to say, hey, look what we could do if this if this works. It ended up connecting with much more than just fans. It ended up connecting with, with almost everybody that saw the movie um, much faster than I thought it would. That's what's fascinating about that little scene at the end there. You go back and you look at it. I mean, that there's no guarantee that what happened is going to happen. And no, we didn't even have a deal with Sam Jackson beyond that. Yeah. Was there just like – I mean, what happened if those movies had failed? Like, was there – Hey guys, we might end up pulling the plug on this thing we want to do because it might not take. I mean, was that like in the air sure. at all? Yeah. Sure. Um, I don't take many vacations. I, I, this is I have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. But in the summer of 2008, uh, the, I I had scheduled a vacation for August. I think it was. It was sort of a it was a pseudo honeymoon. I got married in in, in uh, March of 2008. So. I decided, well, I may as well schedule a vacation for August because these movies will either not work and I'll have a lot of time on my hands or they will work and I won't have much time in the future. So it really was – we didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what if we fail. We spent all the time thinking about how can we succeed. But, yeah, there would not be a studio. If, if you, Iron Man and Hulk had not worked. What, what, I mean, I, you know, I'm just curious, like, were there pay or play deals involved or you'd have been kind of screwed on a profound level? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't no. remember. Okay. No, I don't think so. And happy 10th, uh, belated 10th anniversary there Thank for you. you and your wife. Um, but that was the same thing with Avengers, by the way. Yeah. Which was, if Iron Man, and to answer your other question, if Iron Man and Hulk hadn't worked, we wouldn't have a studio. Yeah. If... Thor and Captain America hadn't worked, Avengers would have been a much more difficult sell. Yeah, exactly. Because we were basing that movie on on those characters yeah. and on Loki, the villain from Thor. Yeah. What has been uh, like the biggest speed bump along the way or series of speed bumps? Anything that comes to mind that like really kind of stopped you or did or, or once it took off, was it just a runaway locomotive at that point? It's, it's pretty much been a locomotive. Um, and there are as I'm sure there are on any film, dozens if not hundreds of speed bumps along the way as you are trying to bring something to life. The best part is the success has encouraged us to to keep moving forward with our plans, our plans of this shared universe, our plans of bringing all sorts of different types of characters to the screen. And the success has also enabled and and uh, uh, the unbelievable part of being um, with the Walt Disney Company when that happened was having the support of of Bob Iger, of Alan Horn, who at every turn encouraged us to go further and encourage us to take more risks. And it really is – it does seem like success should not trap you into repeating yourself. Success should – embolden you to keep trying new things yeah uh i want to talk about some of these directors um that you've that you've tapped along the way i mean uh you know just for the next movie coming up with captain marvel uh bowden and fleck you know one of my favorite movies recently was sugar yes i love those guys uh you know 
Coogler, Chloe Zhao coming up, uh, James Gunn. A lot of these folks came from the indie world. And I'm just curious what the what the thinking is with the hiring on, on, on these uh, very separate, very different voices that you've had along the way. I think a lot of it goes back to, to, uh, to my early days at Marvel and seeing um, decisions that I did not make or were not a part of, but seeing – uh, 20th Century Fox hiring Brian Singer on the first X-Men, mm. seeing Sony hire Sam Raimi on the first Spider-Man film. Those were both uh, very, very good filmmakers who had done very good films, not action films, not big giant special effect films, but very good films that were clever and authentic and unique in their own way. And that those voices translated to these to these bigger films. So when we were looking for a filmmaker on the first Iron Man, it seemed, it seemed like the way to go, and 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 when John came in and was so enthusiastic about it, and had done a movie which, at the time, was a little successful movie called Elf, and now is a big Christmas classic, and there's a giant billboard on Sunset Boulevard <laughs> uh, today that says Elf is on, hooray, um, <laughs> and is a, and is a and is a Christmas classic, um, but I was very impressed with that film. Going back to tone. That could have been a silly comedy. Yeah. It is an excellent, excellent movie with, by the way, an excellent use of visual effects. Um, and John is a very smart man and speaks with great confidence. And we and is a is a fan of film and a fan of these types of film, a fan of entertaining films. Um, and had done a film called Zathura, so had some visual effect experience. Um, now is arguably the greatest filmmaker of pioneering visual effects yeah. there is. Um, we had him on the show for uh, Jungle Book. Amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and Lion King and, and Mandalorian. Um, so we always believed, and it, and, and it has worked, and, uh, uh, starting with John and up, up to uh, Bone and Fleck, that when you bring in people with creative chops and with something to say and with a unique vision – um, it doesn't matter if they haven't uh, 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 worked with the technical aspects of, of, of a large motion picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it also, you know, I guess it's a dose of prestige as well for a genre that, let's face it, some people have biases against uh, for whatever reasons. Um, why do you think it is that, uh, you know, movies like comic book movies or sci-fi or what have you, are, they're not really taken seriously in their time a lot of the times? I think they are taken seriously by a lot of people. I think you're asking about people that uh, vote on awards and, th- and things like that. I think they're taken seriously by a lot of people, which is thankfully why they succeed and why people anticipate the, the next ones. Right. Um, as I as I did uh, when I was a kid uh, growing up waiting for these next movies, uh, having my mom drive me to the movie theater to see the teaser poster of my new favorite movie coming out because you couldn't see them mm-hmm. online like you can now. Um, I don't know is the question. I, I, you know, I remember Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture, and right. I think Close Encounters yeah. was, and I, and and, uh, and I think he, was E.T. nominated. Yeah, yeah. It just I sort mean, of, I guess, it just sort of reminds me of like certain serialized filmmaking that, like, you know, I think of like the westerns of of, of its heyday, uh-huh. for instance, uh, that just. It takes some time for certain minds to look back at it and say that was an important pop cultural thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is uh, 
when we're in, you know, we have an opportunity to, to, to make films the way we want to make them with people that we want to make them with. It's so, um, it's so, uh, satisfying and it's, it takes, it requires so much effort, but it's so satisfying. And then when the audience responds to it, then that's all that, I, mean, oh, yeah. that, I mean at the end of the day that's all there. that's what's pretty <laughs> I mean, that's pretty that's it, pretty amazing and 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 certainly what's happening now with panther uh is very very special and means so much to us um because ryan coogler who i know you've spoken to um and everybody associated with that movie poured their heart and soul in it, as everybody does who works on any movie of ours but that in particular with what ryan was doing what ryan had to say and ryan vouching for uh crew members that we had not worked with before but that he believed in and who came in and blew us away with initial sort of presentations to get the job it's the ultimate example of all of that i feel i like. mean across I mean, the board yeah and to and not only f- for them to have stepped up uh to play to bat i'm not good at sports metaphors <laughs> and then knock it out of the park the way they did is 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 incredible in the fact that the world responded to it the way they did and, you know, this movie has a lot on its mind, I mean, to say the least. Uh, somebody recently – I just said this on a podcast the other day. It's people hearing it again, but I will say it again. Somebody was like, superhero movies are made for teenagers and kids. And I'm like, well, what, who do they make movies for that are about centering a conversation about growing up with systemic oppression versus growing up with, as Michael B. Jordan told me, a tribe that is supporting you and, and instilling you with positivity? Who are those movies made for? Right. I mean, it's just an absurd thing to say whenever you've got a movie like this that is so dense on the page and what in, in the ideas it's kind of chewing on, right? So uh, I think that goes a long way toward why it's your most acclaimed movie to date. And, well, I think that goes back to, to – number one, I think that – what can I – people who are just going to dismiss things outright, there's not much mm-hmm. to say or, or, or worth saying. Sure. Um, I love this genre of, of, of storytelling because it can say things in a way – that are as truthful and emotional as anything else. But when you present them in a way that's also entertaining, you're going to get that message. You're going to get what you have to say out to a lot more people. Yeah. And that's what's the, I mean, that's what the twilight zone did. That's what star Trek did. I mean, that, those were the things that I, that I loved. That's what, that's what Marvel comics did Mm -hmm. and continue to do. Uh, but I think you, it, it comes down to Ryan Coogler. Yeah. And it comes down to a filmmaker who has such a deft hand at being able to balance an action sequence, something that is going to have entertainment value around the world, with being true to his soul and being true to the questions that he has growing up, which I know he talked about on your show. Yeah, and by the way, one of the nicest people that you can meet And in remains this incredibly humble and yeah. incredibly enthusiastic. And the way we try to be, the way the people we work with are – it's just about the work. Yeah. It's just about the work. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to kind of just briefly jump back to the beginning. I, I'm curious about aesthetics always when I'm talking to, to creators on this show. And whenever you're diving into building the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can go a couple of different ways with what it's going to look like, right? So I'm just curious, like – what those conversations were early on and how that evolved just, you know, in terms of how things are going to look, costumes, production design, how it's all going to be of a holistic piece. Uh, Truth is it was all, it was really film by film. Yeah. I think, uh, I think people 
make a set of connections more just because the same logos in front of all those films. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was film by film. I remember when we had Iron Man 1 was released. I think it was after that first weekend that we announced um, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, and Avengers. And that we were going to build them all, intertwine them all, leading up to Avengers. And two things struck me about that. One was, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And it was like a blurb in the trades. <laughs> nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. Um, Sorry. Or, or nobody believed I'll it. I'll apologize for my own. No, I, I, I went, here it is. We announced it. Chirp, chirp. Oh, <laughs> I guess we just have to do it. Um, the other thing was... There were people who would say, "How in the world?" Either to me or or in the in the early years of uh, of film blogging. Although the film, a lot of the film bloggers got it. To be fair, uh, early on, but the question of how in the world is a Norse god from an alien planet going to fit into the world of Tony Stark hmm. establishing Iron Man? And my answer was always, "Well, that's you got to watch the movie. That's yeah. what the, that's what the film is going to be about." Yeah. Um, my other, the real answer was, I'm not sure. <laughs> we better figure it out. <laughs> but we didn't want to, and we knew it would be about the story of him being banished to Earth yeah. and finding and finding uh, humility, yeah. going from this pompous god to this to this humble hero. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want to. I'm always disappointed in the movies that suggest a fantastic world just beyond the horizon. Mm. That you never see. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm buying a ticket to see it. Yeah. I'm buying a ticket to go there. So please take me there. And that's why, certainly with that movie, it was about it was about going there, and unabashedly, as guardian battles and fun uh, mythological creatures, but at the same time, introducing uh, Thor to the to the planet Earth. Yeah. So so aesthetically, if a style has evolved, it has evolved naturally over the course of all these of all these films. Um, but always with the needs of the film that we're making at the time at the forefront. And drawing from the page, I imagine, in some way as well. I mean, were there any – obviously the, the classic founders of these these characters were a part of it. But, like, I'm curious if any contemporary artists were – Without question. Yeah. Without question. And and, and, and it always uh, – you know, the, the movies always start with a, with a blank page. Ours do as well. But we have the luxury of a blank page with a giant stack of comics <laughs> next to it. Yeah. Um, so there are too many to name. I know you spoke with Taika about Jack Kirby, yeah. which was a huge reference point for all of Ragnarok, a huge reference point for many of our movies, mm-hmm. but most uh, directly for Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Warren Ellis and Adi Granoff's uh, run on Iron Man was very influential. If you go back and look, Iron Man – Essentially, this I'm being reductive here, but essentially was a man in gold tights and kind of red, reddish uh, 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 vest and underwear, right? Until Adi turned it into more dimensionalized armor, mm-hmm. and that was our starting point for then Phil Saunders and and uh, and Ryan Meinerding to to adapt it to the to the screen. Um, uh, the comic book series, The Ultimates. Uh, huge influence on the on the. On that's our what early I was kind of getting at because oh, that's yeah, what I sure. that's what I took from it early on quite a bit was because yeah, I was reading those yeah, books and at again, the time. Not, not any specific stories that I can yeah. think of, but uh, textually, yeah, certainly Sam Jackson mm-hmm. as Nick Fury mm-hmm. w- without question came from that. Um, uh, Widow and Hawkeye also very much inspired um, aesthetically from that from it's that kind run. of paramilitary vibe. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, we're going into Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, the 21st and 22nd movies of this uh, initial era. I guess you can call it an era. You can't call it a phase anymore. Yep. No, you're exactly right. <laughs> it's an era. Uh, you know, you're a steel trap. I'm not going to try to get you to tell me anything. But judging by this trailer that just dropped recently, it looks like Ant-Man is going to be kind of important. So what will you tell me about expectations on drawing this to a close, this first era of Marvel Studios movies to a close? Well, we've been working on we did we did Infinity War and Endgame uh, at the same time, uh, developed them, shot them. Uh, we then obviously finished Infinity War first, but it's been th- those have been the longest gestating movies we've ever we've ever made. Four years now, for almost five years, hmm. um, and it was always about <laughs> delivering. It was always about delivering on the promise that we had that we had set up. Um, and the way the world received Infinity War um, was amazing. It was exactly what we wanted in that ending, which we'd been working on for many years. And uh, and I do remember, you know, people on all of the movies we've made, and I'm sure on many movies we will make in the future, uh, whenever the good guy wins, which is often good guy, good 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 woman, good hero wins, uh, they go, eh, kind of predictable. The good good guy wins. Well. Sometimes that's that's fun, mm-hmm. but for years I remember thinking, I wonder what they're going to do <laughs> when they don't, right? Because we knew that was coming, and uh, it couldn't be better. The reaction was the best. I mean, clearly, the reaction yeah. was the best. Yeah. So, uh, no, I won't tell you anything, obviously, but uh, <laughs> but we feel the we feel the pressure of of delivering, yeah. and that doesn't and deliver in expectations, but in unexpected ways. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, from there, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Eternals and uh, with Chloe Zhao directing and, and Black Widow with uh, Kate Shortland will be going into production, production, right? The only thing we've officially, officially announced after after Avengers Endgame is the Spider-Man movie that we're working on now, Spider-Man Far From Home. There are other things in development. There are other filmmakers, mm-hmm. which you just named, who are working on things in development. But when and where and how and why, we haven't, we haven't discussed yet. Um, but it's fair to say... That uh, that we will keep making films after Endgame and uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. No, you're just going to stop and walk and, away. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's just it. hang it up. Uh, well, should we? No. the uh, The way we want to the way we want to do it is sort of the way we've done it up to now, which is mm-hmm. which is as I said before, in unexpected ways, continuing to bring characters to the screen that uh, you haven't seen before, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time seeing new stories and new ways of the of the heroes you already know well key uh notion here with these two filmmakers i just mentioned two women fronting these movies i mean is that going to be uh, a very important thing for the studio going forward uh, yes parody uh, absolutely yeah. it absolutely is and, and people have asked sometimes very directly so is panther a one-off uh, uh in terms of in terms of uh, inclusion and representation mm-hmm. and the answer is no yeah it's the beginning uh that it worked out as well as it worked out is just uh um, again, encourage us to head the direction we were going to head anyway. Mm-hmm. But you look at that film and the experience of that film, and Ryan spoke to you about it. It was incredible. I mean, that movie, that movie, obviously would not have been what it was if everybody sitting around the table looked like me or you. Yeah, and that's actually true for all the movies. The more and and as Marvel Studios has grown, and as our creative um, uh, internal creative team has grown. Um, it's the same thing. It's yeah. almost, it's almost uh, half men, half women now. Um, 
I think that'll get even that'll that may become more women, frankly, in the coming years, based on the based on the uh, um, uh, uh, news team members who continue to grow. We try to to grow and promote in house. Uh, almost everybody that works around me has worked here for many, many years, mm-hmm. and uh, and people who are going on to produce some of our next films um, uh, came in below the people that are producing the films now. Uh, I very much believe in that, and and when you have diverse voices, you get better stories, and you get and you get more exciting stories, and you get more um, surprising stories, and that is something that uh, is very, very clear to us. Yeah. And regarding uh, the, the notion of Black Panther being a one-off, uh, inclusion-wise, obviously not. But I am actually curious. I mean, I can't imagine you expected the level of success that greeted that film. So were, was that as a franchise property always in play? Or was it kind of meant to be this world that you were going to develop and that was going to be crucial to things going forward? But maybe it would just be one Black Panther movie and that was it. So you kind of let the audience tell you is what I'm kind of saying because when you get that it amount of people showing of up. Of course it ultimately comes down to the audience telling us. Yeah. Um, but because we have such amazing source material and we have such a rich um, selection of amazing stories going back decades and decades, we always have other ideas. Yeah. We always have, have thoughts on where we could go. And we've been very lucky up to this point that every film we've made um, – We've been able to make another one. So we have high expectations every time we make a movie, including Black Panther. Those expectations were far surpassed. Um, But the goal is always to create a character, or in the case of Black Panther, a world that is so so rich and is so um, exciting to audiences that they want to go back. Yeah. And I mean, two movies making six hundred million dollars in the states. I, I just want to make it clear to people that that is crazy. First and foremost, but coming from one studio, and then by the way, Disney overall has a third one with Incredibles too. So it's like uh, you guys are doing something right over here. Uh, let's talk briefly at the very end here. I wanted to touch on the Disney Fox thing, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know Disney's acquired Fox, so you've got this kind of sandbox of characters to play with potentially. Now, uh, I talked to the Russos about this. In an earlier stage, we're in a later stage now. Have you been given the yes? Go start thinking about these other characters yet? No, not yet. But we've been told it's it is uh, it's looking very good and 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 could happen in the in the first six months of next year. I mean, you know, obviously everyone's been thrilled to see these characters come together on the screen to add this whole new. Uh, Again, toy box of X Men and Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer. I mean, the mind boggles. It, it, it's and it and it comes at such an interesting time for the studio too, because you're ten years in. You've come to the end of this first era. It's almost like, could that be a skeleton key to unlocking an entire new direction for this kind of overarching cinematic universe? The, the, the Marvel Comics provides a lot of skeleton keys, yeah. um, which is what's pretty remarkable. And 22 films, 23 counting Far From Home, 23 films in, we still have truly only scratched the surface of what has been in publishing in the past 80 years. One of the things that is equally frustrating but also um, pretty amazing is whenever we announce a slate – we haven't done it now for four years or so – but we we did a big event at the El Capitan Theater – I think it was four years ago. 2014, um, yeah. Yeah, where we announced, I can't remember exactly, but 10 movies maybe? Mm-hmm. 
and I did a little a little Q and A with with uh, press afterwards. Mm-hmm. The very like the first five questions were, "What about this character? What about this other character? Well, what about this movie?" Um, and I thought, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute! We just announced ten <laughs> or whatever it was new movies. Isn't that enough?" And what's amazing is no, no, it's not. It's enough. not enough. There's a, there's a what huge about appetite, these, which yeah. goes to which goes to how many great characters there are in these comics. Yeah. So so I think there are a lot of them. Um, I can't remember what the official word is of eight thousand characters or ten thousand. Mm. Could they all be movies? No, of course not. But could a hundred? I, I you know maybe. Um, and so many different types. That's why you know the the Earthbound. Uh, stories that we've done getting uh, to a cosmic space was always very important to me. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of uh, of, uh, of science fiction and outer space movies, which now which now we've done the supernatural side, metaphysical side of things with the Doctor Strange universe. Um, and there's still others that we haven't tapped into yet in terms of in terms of genre plays, which is what we always like to do. Um, so there's lots there. The notion of uh, the characters that had previously been under a Fox agreement coming back um, is great. Number one, it's nice when a company that, that, that created all these characters can have access to all those characters. Um, it's unusual not to. Mm-hmm. Marvel has been in a unique position to not have access to the characters in a long time. And for me, going full circle to our conversation, that's where I started. Mm-hmm. That's where I started. You know, almost twenty years ago now. Yeah. So that's so it's exciting. But in terms of actually thinking about it and actually planning things, we haven't started that yet. With this twenty-two film arc of films coming to a close, uh, I'm curious about you. Like, are you ready to go another ten years here at this company? Do you have designs on anything else? Do you want to? I mean, what you've built here is significant. Uh, would you want to build it somewhere else? You know, or are you happy staying here? Even longer because it's, it's actually an unusual career. I mean, you've been with Marvel for twenty years, uh, like right out of the and gate. A half years, yeah. So, uh, and here you are still. So, just curious, you know, where you're at. I, I'm I am a uh, uh, antsy person. I said before, I don't like to sit at a desk. I'm we're in our my office right now. I almost never sit at that desk. Mm-hmm. I like to jump around. I'm, I like to move around. Um, so even thinking, oh right, if I've been in the same place for eighteen years, well, I guess theoretically yes, but in actuality, no. Yeah, it's, it's been, been... A, it's been very different companies, uh, uh, at least three, three or four incarnations of this company since I've been here. This current incarnation is pretty great. Um, the people I work with at Marvel Studios are great. The people I work for at the Walt Disney Studios are incredible, and are the best mentors I've I've ever had in this in this business. Um, working at this studio at this time. Is uh, is pretty is 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 pretty um, satisfying, and I like to make lots of different types of movies. And these characters, as you've seen in twenty two movies, or you've seen in twenty, and we'll see in the next in the next three, um, provide a way to do lots of different films. People can lump them together as quote unquote superhero movie or comic book movie, but to us, they're movies. And to us, we think about what kind of stories do we want to do? What kind of stories haven't we done? What kind of movies do we like that we haven't gotten to do yet? And then we decide what to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a and that is a um, we're very uh, lucky to be in that position. Tell me just abstractly, what's number one on that list? What kind of movie have you not made yet that you really want to make? Uh, any answer would be a spoiler because I guess so, because <laughs> they haven't come out yet, and we're doing them. But um, but there are even well, this is 
anything I say will get I will came get so close there. Yeah, but I'm just curious, like you know, just again, just broadly speaking, because you know, cosmic, for instance, is is, yeah. is a broad way to put that aspect of it. So you know, even as Ryan Coogler has talked about, you know, the notion of of a James Bond type mm-hmm. film with a suave here that that was one of the early. Um, Inspirations that that uh, Nate Moore discussed with Ryan Coogler for for Panther, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I don't think most people watch that film and think James Bond, but you can see totally. where part of the part of that inspiration c- came from. Yeah, doing it with an African hero in a in a in a in a country that had never been colonized is only even more exciting. Makes it more yeah. more unique and, and special. Yeah. Such a great movie. Uh, if you haven't seen Black Panther yet, you should see it. Uh, I, I don't know how you would have missed this one. But it's on Blu-ray, DVD, 4K, all of those things. You should check it out. It'll be on the streaming service before long. We didn't talk about that. But the streaming service, is that going to be a big part of your plans? Like as far as branching things off the big screen and, and into more Disney serialized? Plus is. Yeah. Yes, which is another another exciting avenue and another exciting reason to uh, – uh, uh, Another exciting thing about being at this place at this time, mm-hmm. um, and it goes back to the amount of characters we have and the amount of stories we could tell. When we announce ten movies and people go, "What about all these other things?" The previous answer would be, "Well, we only have a certain number of we only have a certain number of slots to make movies per per year." Um, that's still true, but now we have another outlet yeah, exactly. to do things. I think that will be very uh, very unique and very special. And uh, coming up in March, we've got Captain Marvel and then Avengers Endgame, at which point uh, hopefully all answers, all questions will be answered. Maybe. Maybe not. But uh, here's the 10 more years, man. You oh, guys thank have you so done much. a damn good job of this. Really and it's appreciate just, it. Again, I, at the top I said you, you're a key important figure in the industry, and I mean it because it's exciting to see something so radical take shape. And I'm looking around the office, man, like – You've created a world, and you know, hats off to you. That's all. We brought a world to life. That, yeah. that uh, you brought a world to created, life, I should yes. say. And and, and yeah. by the way, I don't want to leave this without talking about Stan just a little bit. Like, yes, good. Again, we lost Stanley earlier this year. It was so great that he was able to see all of this as well. That has to be like a big deal to you. That he, you know, it was. And and I was there not for everyone, but for almost every single cameo he's ever shot. Going back to X Men One. Yeah. Um, he was very special, and he was – I've always said, you know, anybody who met Stan – I've never heard one story of somebody meeting Stan and not being overwhelmed with excitement. He he never disappointed, um, and I was lucky enough to see him about 10 days before he passed away. Coincidentally, went went to his house to, to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in some ways, I never thought this day would come. I thought he'd be going – you know, Kirk Douglas just turned 102. I thought Stan yeah. was going to be there. And literally outlived all of us. Um, and in the same ways, it doesn't seem like he's gone. Because just like Walt Disney on this lot, mm-hmm. his influence will, will never will well, never go away. He is immortal because these characters for aren't going anywhere. sure. So, yeah. Exactly absolutely. Right. Well, thank you again, man, for taking thank the time. Thank you. Congrats to on 100 podcast. episodes. I appreciate it. Congrats on 10 years. Thank you. And hopefully you'll come back on the show. I'd love to have you back after, uh, after some things unfold. So, absolutely. Thanks again, man. Thanks.